What's up, heroes? Welcome to the Producer Life Podcast, episode 66. Today, we've got Sean Giovanni, who is a producer, audio engineer, brand development coach, and owner of the record shop in Nashville, Tennessee. During his career, Gio, as he's known to his friends, has worked with big acts and labels to include Alabama, John Legend, Lil Jon, Meatloaf, Sister Hazel, The Wallflowers, Sony Music, Warner Music Group, Universal, and many more. Gio also runs an artist development and coaching site called MindMap Tribe, which provides artists short videos, worksheets, and mentoring calls to help them achieve their dreams. In this broad-ranging interview, Gio talks about overcoming adversity and making his own path in Nashville. He also talks about the multi-step process for working with clients at the record shop, how to differentiate yourself as a producer, and why a purpose statement is so powerful. It really helps me push past any of that opportunity for me to get bogged down in negativity and adversity and let that halt my creativity. And it, it's, it's helped me stay in a more inspired state. But first, cue the intro music. All right, Sean, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Uh, you are one of the most experienced podcast interviewees I've ever had, which is really exciting. You've had like a dozen different podcasts. Yeah, it seems like um, you know people have been interested in, in hearing my story and my take on building a career as a producer, and I've been more than excited to share it with people. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. One of the things that struck me as I was listening to some of the other interviews is you have got this amazing passion for helping other artists, you know, make better music and also growing their careers. Where, where did that come from? What What is it that drives you? What really drives me is the fulfillment that I get out of helping artists achieve their creative vision through the process and working through creating music as a collaborative experience as opposed to focusing on my skill set as just a technical equipment operator um, or a, you know, a creative uh, director. I, I enjoy it being a collaborative uh, process. And so early on in my career, when I was trying to determine, you know, who, who am I as a producer and engineer, what stands out and what do I really enjoy about it? So how can I articulate that well with people? And I found that the one thing that I kept coming back to was that experience of meeting an artist, having them share their creative vision that they have around their song or their project or the content that they're they're creating and then being able to see that whole thing come to life that was just initially just a thought or idea or inspiration in their head and be able to turn it into something tangible so i i, I really recognized how fulfilled i got and how excited i got through helping artists do that process and that started to become something that i really focused on is making sure that i maintained my um, intention and that being a priority through my production process. Okay. Awesome. It, it strikes me that there's kind of a, a tough balance to strike there between, you know, an artist that shows up, they, they certainly have a vision for the way they want their art to turn out. And, you know, artists want to be true to their art, but then there's also this aspect of, you know, it becomes collaborative with the producer and what you're bringing to the table. Also, how do you, how do you walk that fine line between allowing the artists being true to their art, but also being there to, to collaborate with them? 
Well, I spend a lot of time before I choose to work with an artist on really figuring out if it's going to be a good fit. So we talk a lot about our influences, uh, our, our inspiration uh, through the music that we both like to create, you know, individually. And I ask them a lot about what they're looking for in a production partner and what role they're looking for someone like myself to play. And if it seems like we got all the boxes checked and it's going to be a good um, you know, process, then we move into our first stage of production, which is pre-production. And there's a number of different levels of this, but where I start is really getting an idea for what is the project? So what, what do they want to uh, fit, complete at the end of it? And in some cases, that might be a single. In other cases, it might be a small group of songs. In some cases, it might be a full album. So I determine what that's going to be. Uh, I ask to hear as, as much of their previous music as, uh, as we can. If it's, a lot of the artists I work with are fairly well established, so it's easy for me to find, and I kind of do that research on the front end. But if I am working with a brand new artist, and they haven't released any music yet, and they're really just like getting their career launched, and I just see some incredible potential in what they're in, in their talent. Um, then I ask them to share like any home recordings that they've done, voice memos of things, uh, videos of live performances, just to get a feel for their creative personality. Um, and then, uh, and we we have a lot of conversations about creativity in the in the process. I explain to them the the different stages that I like to go through to prepare for. Uh, for a project. And one of the things that I make sure that I always talk with an artist about is that, is that, that idea of collaboration through the process. Um, I, I, I tell them that even though this is what I do for a living and what you do for a living is, you know, is, is making music and performing, uh, we need to um, have trust in each other and have open communication. So uh, I don't ever want someone to, uh, an artist to just blindly trust my judgment just because, well, you do this for a living. So they probably know better than me. I want to make sure that we feel confident in every decision that we make. At the same time, I also ask artists that the balance between that is to be open to just kind of exploring things and going down different roads that may at first feel a little bit different or sometimes uncomfortable, but just to explore and see how it comes out. And, uh, and if at the point that we go through and explore that, it doesn't feel like it's capturing your vision in the right way, then you can feel completely comfortable in sharing that with me. And then we'll go down a different road until we find one that we both feel like is really getting us in the right direction of what our final goal is. Wow. That sounds like a terrific process for, for making sure that there's a good fit and sort of the expectations on both parties are, are set ahead of time. Absolutely. And, um, and throughout the process, I'm always checking in with the, the artists, uh, you know, in, it's a um, delicate balance, as you mentioned, being on the tech side of things and, and then working with an artist. So if you're taking more of like the, the approach of like a producer engineer, for example, they may not know the right terms to explain maybe the type of effect that they want or the type of guitar tone that they want or drum sounds that they want. And sometimes they can artists can be a little hesitant in sharing an idea because they're not sure how to articulate it properly. So I always make sure that it's a very safe space for conversation and collaboration. And I try to push artists when I feel that level of maybe uncomfort or maybe like they're, they're holding back on a thought because they're really not sure how to explain it and they don't want to sound you know dumb or something. So I leave it very, very open and I, and I, and I push artists to try to dig a little bit deeper into the, into their um, focus on what we're, what we're creating to give me feedback on what we can do to, make it better and make sure that it's, it's following their vision through the, through the process. Okay. 
You, you talked about making this space, and of course, you've got this physical space with the record shop. You're the owner and manager at the the record shop in Nashville. What is what does that space feel like? Can you kind of paint a picture for for my listeners? I'll have links in the show notes, but what what is it like when you step into the record shop? Well, I think that uh, man probably ninety percent of the the importance of the studio is the vibe and energy and the the hang and making sure that people feel comfortable. So some of the simple things are like just making sure that the, that the studio is always clean and organized and, um, and doesn't feel like anxious, like there's stuff all over the place. Um, and, and just trying to make it feel like a very welcoming environment. Um, the studio itself, as you'll see in like in images of it is all kind of branded with my favorite colors, which are red and black. And I find that uh, that a lot of artists feel like those those colors inspire some type of you know creativity or vibe and stuff. Um, we try to make sure that the lighting is you know that is is nice that it smells good in the studio, uh, and so that that's kind of the first first focus is making sure that the environment is just um, is just inviting. Um, and then uh, I, I think that something that is sometimes um, a overwhelming thing for definitely for new artists but also for some established artists where there's um i guess a new you know a new trend of of a lot of records being made at home and uh and people being more comfortable in that environment and now when i work with a new artist almost all of them have had some type of experience either recording themselves or working in like a friend's home studio and it can be a little daunting to walk into a commercial facility with uh, what they look at is like all this, this, uh, very delicate, expensive equipment and, you know, this big room and, you know, in space. Uh, so when I'm setting up as an example for a vocal session, um, I have various ISO booths in the, in the room. And then I have, um, a large tracking room and then a kind of a smaller tracking room. And then I have the control room. And I talk with artists about where would you feel most, most comfortable performing? Do you want to be able to have a line of sight with me while you're performing? Would you like to kind of be off in your own space would you feel more comfortable in a smaller ISO booth with the lights down, or would you feel more comfortable in a in a larger room with a you know wide open space with some um, you know gobos um, surrounding you? And, uh, and and I try to get a, a feel for you know for their their creative vibe and what kind of environment they want to be in, and then I set up the studio accordingly based on their uh, their preferences. And in some cases, I, there's artists that are just more comfortable sitting in the control room with me. So. Um, I put headphones on and we set up the mic, you know, right, right next to, you know, to where I'm sitting and, um, and work through it together in, in a little bit more of an intimate setting. So it's, it's obviously audio quality is always important, but the, the primary concern is the artist's comfort. And then secondarily, you know, the acoustic treatment of the room and all those other things. Absolutely. I would say so. Huh. Okay. All right. So how many years have you been running the record shop? Um, well, I've been running the record shop as a production company for uh, f- almost 15 years. Okay. And uh, that's basically when I moved to Nashville. Uh, I couldn't get okay. a job anywhere, so I started a business. And I the current facility that we have, I've had for three years. How, how does that happen? How do you go from from not having a job to starting a, a business? That sounds like a big transition. I figured out what I wanted to do when I was when I was really young. I was either going to be a professional athlete or I was going to be a music producer. And I decided that when I was I don't know, probably 12 years old. So wow. by the time that I got to Nashville when I was uh, 19, 20, um, I, there was no question that I was going to figure out, you know, way one way or another. 
but I definitely thought that the process and the journey was going to be a little different. And it, it was, it was definitely not what I expected when I moved here. I moved to Nashville for a job at a major recording studio. And when I got here, I found out that that job had, had fallen through and banged down the door of, of every studio, every like producer that I could find, trying to find any sort of just foot in the door opportunity. And, um, and it, w- it, it was just incredibly challenging to find, uh, find a position somewhere, not lack of trying, but um, just lack of uh, opportunity. A lot of studios at the time that I moved here were having trouble staying open let alone hiring new staff and the people that had jobs in no way were leaving because it was just a, a, a very tough transitional time for the recording industry. And mm-hmm. um, so that was like 2006. And, um, and so I definitely went through uh, a very quick period where I, where I felt like, you know, maybe I need to move somewhere else. Maybe there's just the opportunity isn't here. Um, but I had, while I didn't, while I was never able to get a job, I was able to find, a couple really great mentors that just kind of gave me the hope that if I kept pushing through and kept doing what I was doing, that eventually things would happen. And people just gave me a, a reality check that it takes a long time in a very competitive market. You know, you're in one of the the main music meccas of America, and there's a ton of people that are moving here with the same qualifications as you and same experience that are looking for the same opportunities. And so you just have to be patient and work hard and treat people right and build good relationships. And eventually things will start to come together. And with that, uh, with that direction and advice, I felt like, well, if I can't get a a job somewhere, I need to figure out a way to start working. And, uh, and so that, that just started by setting up a small little makeshift studio in an apartment on music row and going out every night to shows and writers rounds and any place that I could, that would put me in front of artists that I could meet and slowly, but surely starting to build relationships and find folks that needed uh, some help with what I do. Wow. That's phenomenal. Okay. You have, you have a great passion for not only producing, helping artists produce great music, but also helping artists develop their careers. And so you kind of have this personal story of overcoming adversity. How does your experience inform working with your artists? I think it depends on what stage of the career the artist is in. I don't have those conversations as much necessarily with the, you know, very established, like top 1% type artists. That's more just get in and be creative Yeah. But with the newer artists and with the mid-level artists that I work with, they're going through those challenges. We definitely have a lot of conversation about that. And I try to be aware of, of their mood when they come into the studio and, 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 um, their body language and, and kind of vibe with things. And if I, feel like maybe they need some support, you know, just, we'll you know, just kind of bring up, Hey, how are, you know, how are things going? Are there any challenges that you're kind of dealing with, you know, at the moment and, um, and try to support them throughout their, their process. I think that I've just learned a lot through the last, um, decade plus of, you know, working in the industry and had a lot of crazy experiences and intense adversity, like everyone does. And, um, for the people that are trying to, and I've been very fortunate to be able to find really great mindset practices and perspectives and had really great mentors to help guide me, uh, through, through those, uh, experiences. And so I just try my best to be able to support artists in that way. And I think that if I focus on doing that, that the result will be a better product and, you know, and working with them. Um, and, and the artists that I, that I work with are people that I, that I want to work with long-term. So my goal is to create, you know, strong, um, 
relationships with them so I can support them throughout their career. You've mentioned your mentors a couple of times. What are some of the biggest lessons you've taken from your mentors over the years? Um, well, I think the the first thing, so the, the gentleman that I moved here to, to potentially work for um, ended up becoming a really great mentor after he wasn't able to, to hire me and we're still great friends now. Um, he was, he gave me a couple lessons. One was that just that, that it takes time. He was probably the first person that told me a very common phrase that people say in Nashville, that Nashville is a 10 year town. Some people say it's like a 15 year town now. And what people mean by that is it takes about that amount of time to establish yourself by consistently, you know, working hard and over time, you know, kind of building your network and finding your way um, to where you're, you're starting to have some sense of stability, you know, within, within your career. For some people that happens a little bit quicker. Some people it takes a little bit longer, but it's a general average that people describe the town in. And, um, and just him giving me that perspective really helped change the way that I was thinking about things. Because from my perspective, when I moved to Nashville, I had been training for this opportunity since I was in middle school. And I did all of the things that I was told I was supposed to do to be prepared to move to a town like Nashville and get a job. And when I was in school and when I was in college, um, I, uh, definitely traded a lot of party nights for staying in the studio all night and really learning the equipment and getting as much experience as I could. So I could, um, come to a town like Nashville and, and be competitive in what I had to offer. And then when I moved here, I recognized that while all of that was really important for my own personal training, it didn't really mean a lot to the people that were the gatekeepers. Um, because there were plenty of other people that were, that were doing the same thing. And I wasn't, I didn't have anything that I could do to really prove at that time. I didn't realize that I had anything that I could do to prove that I was any better or any more capable or, or any more of a better fit than any of the other, um, you know, options that, uh, that they had. Uh, and so I, I was a bit deflated when I moved here be, you know, because of that experience and, and process and also a bit confused, like, where do I start? if you need experience in order to be able to get jobs, but you can't get a job, if you don't have enough experience, then you're kind of screwed, you know? Uh, and that's what really led me to start working for myself and made the decision to, if the opportunities weren't there for someone else to bring to me that I was going to find them, um, on my own. And, uh, and then this, the, I think the, the second thing that, um, that that particular person really instilled in me was, um, to, continue your career with that level of support for others. I'm, I'm probably really passionate, passionate about doing the stuff like this that I'm doing now. Um, because of, because of him, uh, he was always willing to, um, take a phone call, answer an email, listen to a track I was working on give me feedback. Um, have me come by the studio or go out to lunch. And, um, and we, even with a, you know, the very busy schedule, like took the, the time and the interest in, being able to help, um, you know, give me some support. And, you know, he didn't have to do that. that there wasn't really anything in it for him. Um, but it gave me the, the understanding that, you know, if I, if I stay at this and keep working and, and keep trying to push towards building similar relationships to this one, that, you know, eventually there's, there's gotta be something that breaks and, you know, starts to, starts to happen. So that was a, a definitely an inspirational thing early on. Um, but then was definitely a catalyst for, for why I do the type of mentorship and workshops and podcasts and all that stuff that I do now. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting the way you described, you know, there's, there's a lot of talented people in Nashville, but a lot of it comes down to the time you've put in and the connections and the relationships you've built. And it, 
from from what I have read about you, it, it certainly seems like it is you and your personality that, in, in addition to your technical expertise, that have made you successful. One of the one of the things that I do anytime I go to a bricks and mortar business is I always look at the Google Maps reviews, and and I was struck by the overwhelmingly positive reviews that uh, the record the record shop has. You know, one of the ones the sort of the summary sentence was strong recommendation. Giovanni cares about artists and the work he produces. You know, it was clear from what people were saying about you that you really put your heart and soul into this. So I think that has a lot to do with your, your success. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think when you, when you love what you do, you know, so much and you have such a like resilient attitude towards being able to continue to do that and have the privilege to be able to make your hobby your your living, um, it makes it really easy to have that that level of of support. But I would definitely say that, that even with that, there's still challenges um, through that. And one of the ways that I've been able to maintain my intention on the way that I treat every project that I work on is through the creation of a purpose statement that I created pretty early on in my career after reading a bunch of books about business. Uh, and, and the reason I call it, it's basically a mission statement, but the reason I call it a purpose statement is because I use it to drive my inspiration to keep fulfilling my purpose on a daily basis whenever adversity hits. And uh, the way that I created that statement was through thinking about what are the things that define my fulfillment in my career and my intention for what I want to accomplish and what the experience is that I want artists to know that they, they will get from me. And then I wanted to culminate that into one sentence. So there were two separate things that helped me create that statement. One of them was what I start, what I mentioned earlier about what I had learned about what fulfilled me the most about the creative process. And that was helping artists achieve their creative vision and being that collaborative you know, person to be able to help them do that. Because as I started to get the experience to do that, I felt so much joy when they heard the final master of their project and they were like, this is just exactly what I imagined. And for me, there wasn't really a better feeling in the world than being able to help someone take this, uh, this just idea that just existed in their head and turn it into something tangible that gave them that level of joy and the hope that it would give countless other people that level of joy when they experienced listening to it. And then the second half of that statement was, was, um, more the intention around staying resilient and making sure that you hold yourself to a very high standard. And in a lot of the reading that I was doing when I was when I first moved to town and was just really searching for direction and, and meaning and uh, perspective on things, I read a quote by a philosopher named William James who said, the best use of life is to use it for something that outlasts it. And that immediately just connected with my intention for what I wanted through my career. But really, it, it kind of helped me uh, it gave me a, a, an idea of how I could really vocalize like why I'm so passionate about creating music. And uh, personally, I love the idea of being able to, you know, every, people say like, leave the world, you know, better than when you got here and, you know, and that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. to give yourself some sort of purpose, it felt like it gave me a purpose that was bigger than me. That if I could focus on making the, the commitment to doing everything I can to not settle for anything throughout the process to not skip the little details, but to be so focused and, and fluid on your, um, on your process that you're creating something that 
is, that can have the potential to be timeless and making that the standard that you set for yourself. And that, that was just super inspiring to me. So I combined those two ideas together into what my passion statement was, which is to help artists achieve their creative vision and create art that outlasts us. And so I use that as a, as a motto. I use it as a tagline for things. Um, that William James quote is in the bottom of, of every email that I, that I send out. But, and that stuff is great for like, you know, for marketing and branding and that, that kind of thing. And it helps solidify like who we are at the record shop and what our intention is. But where it's had the most impact on me is being able to stay positive and keep a strong perspective throughout adversity. And when I'm in a struggling session, when I feel like ah, this mix is probably good enough, that kick drum is just about right. It may not be exactly what I want, but let's move on. Or I'm getting frustrated with a certain part of the process or an artist is being really challenging to work with. Um, or you set aside your day to work with someone and then the last minute they, they just blow you off or don't show up or, you know, or cancel and you can immediately have a real negative reaction and have it ruin your day. I've focused back into what my, my purpose is and to help artists achieve their vision and create art that will outlast us. And if I can focus on that as my priority, it really helps me push past any of that opportunity for me to get bogged down in negativity and adversity and let that halt my creativity. And it, it's, it's helped me stay in a more inspired state. So that's one element or exercise that I've started to incorporate with artists that I work with, with my apprentices that work with me here at the studio and, uh, and workshops that I do and, and folks that I come across that are looking for some, you know, some tips on trying to figure out how to really maybe find their direction or stay positive or keep their inspiration flowing. And I found it to be incredibly valuable in my process. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I love that having a personal passion statement. Um, I, I don't think if I asked a hundred artists what their passion statement was, I, I think maybe a handful would be able to answer that. I think I'm going to have to go work on my own now. <laughs> you've, you've given a bunch of talks. You, you clearly enjoy educating and sharing your ideas. I know you've been a panelist multiple times at NAM, the um, uh, National Association of Music Merchants. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk to me about, I've never been to NAM. I know it's a big trade show for the music industry. Talk to me about what what that's like and who attends and uh, what the panels are like. Absolutely. So the, the NAM show was created uh, by the NAM organization, uh, which is an organization that hosts this conference, which connects uh, people that are companies that create music products with music product dealers. So it's a big technical trade show. People unveil their new equipment um, and it ranges any type of music product that you could think of from um, orchestral instruments to guitars and basses and drums, uh, pro audio equipment, DJ equipment, live sound equipment, everything that, that you can think of. And I started going to the NAMM show maybe about 10 years ago when I was producing a show called Balcony TV, which was a online global online music show where we had artists perform on top of buildings around the world uh, in a very stripped down environment. And uh, the first time that I attended the show was to create some awareness around our show. And my hope was to be able to find some partners uh, with it, with that would sponsor our show and help us up the production value of what we were doing, help us get maybe get some equipment for, for artists that we were working with and create some partnerships. And, um, and so that's what I kind of set out to do. I walked around, talked to, went to all the booths, talked to all the artists, reps, shared with them what we were doing, 
we shot a bunch of interview content with different people and it was a lot of fun. The The whole experience at NAM is just incredible. Uh, unfortunately, this year we couldn't have it happen, but they did do it virtually. And, uh, and it was really cool the way that they set up their platform. There was still a really great way for people to be able to network with folks. Um, and it was, it was an incredible, um, you know, experience. Um, Sean, is, the, is, NAM, is NAM mostly business to business or, um, you know, your um, mobile DJs, would they go as well? Or is it mostly the companies selling the mobile DJ equipment, for example? Um, it's both. So it, it it's definitely the foundation of it is intended for the companies that are selling the equipment to connect with dealers that are going to stock their equipment. Okay. That's the generalized purpose of it. But it is open to the public. There are certain days that are open to the public and and then artists can get a pass through companies. Okay. There are a lot of artists, a lot of creators that are there as well as dealers, but the foundation of it is for that purpose. Okay. So when I went when I first went to the NAMM show, I was looking for uh, sponsorships for um, for the Balcony TV show that I was uh, producing, and um, I didn't find any sponsorships because um, I didn't really know how to approach that. I was really just trying to. It was my first time um, really going out as someone that was like looking for endorsements and that type of thing. I had no idea how this you know community worked, <laughs> but my experience there the first time is another really great example of like just taking action, build, building relationships. And finding some, um, you know, some mentors and stuff to uh, to guide you. Um, so I, I was at the Taylor Guitar Booth, and I met the um, woman, her name Shalice, that was running uh, marketing for Taylor at the time. And I told her about what we were doing. She thought it was really interesting, um, and uh, we hit it off. And, and I started to ask her about, like, so, like, what would you suggest for someone like me? You're in marketing. Um, I have this program. I'm trying to figure out ways to build connections. And, and she gave me some really good um, advice about how to approach those conversations and what to say, what not to say. And, um, and then started uh, introducing me to different folks. And through a number, through one stage to another, I ended up two weeks later producing content for the producers and engineers wing of the Recording Academy at the Grammy Awards, uh, wow. which was like insane, but came out of this process of just taking action, going out, asking for help, and then letting the universe just kind of bring what it's going to bring to you. And, uh, and so my experience at NAMM has continued to be those types of, of moments where now that I've been going there for a, like a decade, um, I have really good relationships with a lot of different companies. I'm now endorsed by a bunch of different companies. Uh, an important thing that I, that I learned was not to go up and ask people for those things, uh, but to build those relationships first and let them occur naturally. So if someone's thinking about going to the NAMM show for that purpose, that's one strong takeaway from that. All the endorsements that I have with companies are, are things that they brought to me after we developed an a authentic relationship, not me going up and asking for things. Uh, okay. but, but through that process, every year there's something new that, that happens. And a few years ago, I was there and uh, Shalice, uh, again, where she, she's now um, the head of marketing for the, uh, the entire NAMM show. And she put me in touch with the, one of the gentlemen that runs a lot of the panels. And she said, you know, I've known Gio for a long time. I, his business is, is really interesting and he's doing a lot of, you know, creative things and unique things within the production space. And I think he'd be a really good panelist for you. And so she made the recommendation to one of the people that curates these panels. And then that was the, uh, the next year uh, or the, the following winter when we, we went back out to NAMM show in California. 
uh, was the first time that I was a presenter at the show. And then since then, I've been doing multiple uh, presentations, uh, both with the, the curated NAM panels and then with individual companies at their booths and stuff um, every year. And, uh, and it's been a lot of fun to be able to you know, share my experiences. And I try to focus more on the business side of things because there's so many there's so much information out there about tech stuff. And that's great. We can have all the technical knowledge in the world. But if we don't know how to apply our skills to be able to make a living, then it's just is you know, it's just a hobby. And I think that most people that would be listening to this are probably listening to it because they're looking for a way to continue to grow their, you know, their career and uh and build things. And uh conferences like the NAM show is a great way to do that. Uh and those are a few examples of how I just started a process of just kind of going out, talking to folks and, uh, and where it naturally led into that. I'm, I'm, I don't think that I'm necessarily any more special than anyone else. I didn't do anything magical in order for those things to happen aside from just taking action and having a a goal and going out and trying to put the puzzle pieces together to figure out how to accomplish it. Not much different than having an idea of a sound in your head that then you go in and, and figure out the right combination of instruments and, and sounds and processing in order to to pull it pull it out of it into a record. Fantastic. For a producer that's transitioning from that hobbyist phase to a business phase, what would what would you say are the biggest business mistakes and pitfalls that they should try to avoid? That's a great question. Um, there there's so many of them. Well, I would say the first thing is maybe to not focus on avoiding them, but just to learn from them. I would I would focus more on recognizing when you make mistakes and then notating it and not doing that again. <laughs> and because I put way too much pressure on myself for the mistakes that I did make. If I lost a, a job because maybe I was negotiating it in the wrong way, um, or maybe in the way that wasn't necessarily going to lead to me, you know, me getting it, or I didn't take the time to really present myself in the, you know, in the right way. Or if I got, there were definitely times early on in my career where may have got frustrated, you know, working through a project and kind of pushed it across the finish line, probably a little quicker than I should have, um, because someone was being difficult. And, you know, before I had found a better perspective on how to approach, you know, creativity and and dealing with an artist and that sort of thing. And all those things I feel like are going to be, uh, experiences that, that anyone's going to have at some point. And I'm still learning. There's still things that, that come up that I have to take a mental note and say, okay, I can't just get down on myself and have my whole week be ruined because this this deal fell through. I just need to track back and look at what could I have done differently to hopefully move that result into the direction that I wanted it, and then next time make sure that I execute it the way that I should. So that would be my first generalized uh, piece of advice. Uh, and, but if I uh, if I were to think about specific things, I think that there's a period of time when you're transitioning into that more like professional stage where the main goal is to feel like you're successful as a business or as a freelancer. And with that, you want to have enough work to be able to survive solely on the the craft or the, the skill that you have. And that is, that is awesome. And a really great goal to have. It was one of the goals that I had, but I found that once I had gotten pretty close to accomplishing that goal, that there was a fair amount of stuff that I was working on that I wasn't really excited creatively about doing. I was just more excited because I was getting paid to do it. And that's a very fine balance to, to find that transition away from just jumping from one gig to the next versus seeking out the types of opportunities that you want and then trying to make, make sure that, that you 
develop longer term relationships with those opportunities. Uh, one of the things that would happen for me is that I would spend a lot of time going out trying to build relationships with new potential artists and meet new people. And then I would get a decent amount of work after doing that for, you know, for a few weeks. And then I'd get a few gigs and that would keep me busy for a couple of weeks. Uh, but during those couple of weeks, I was so busy or so focused on the creative process that I wasn't focused as much on continuing to build new relationships. And so I went through this roller coaster ride for pro- probably close to like two years where I would, where I would feel pretty confident, like, all right, cool. Things are rolling. I'm getting some good work in, you know, getting some good calls. And, uh, then I get busy, you know, booking all these sessions. And then all of a sudden like phone stopped ringing and there wasn't that, that same flow of, of things happening. And then I would go back out and start building new relationships. And then that whole cycle would happen again. And fortunately I was able to recognize why this was happening. It was because I, I was, wasn't finding a balance between the outreach and the the new, you know, client interactions with the work, with the, the physical work that I was doing with the clients that I did have. Um, so I had to start to find a process in order to find that balance. And uh, the way that I did that was through creating um, a pretty detailed calendar, which I now call a prosperity plan. And I use that in a lot of workshops that I do. I, the prosperity plan is, uh, in a sense, your calendar with your goals attached to it. So I set set up my um, long-term goals, the things that I see in my career would maybe, you know, solidify the next milestones and things that I want to achieve. And then I think in detail about the very, very, very specific things that I can do that will help me move towards those goals. And then I write a list of those underneath each one of those major goals. Mm-hmm. And then I take um, those specific action steps that I could take to move towards those goals. And I put them on my calendar in the open space that I have in between work that I'm doing. So once I did that, I was able to um, manage my time in a more effective way where I could, could visualize, okay, I have, you know, maybe eight hours of sessions this day, um, but I have another eight hours that I'm awake. So what time can I feel like I can commit without overwhelming myself to taking it to doing some sort of other action that might be outside of that? So maybe before the session starts, I set aside an hour to make some phone calls. Maybe after the session, I find a show that I can go out to or, a, um, or these days, like a, a, a virtual conference that I can jump on um, to, to connect with people or spend an hour on social media and, and just do some research on trying to find some, you know, some new artists or some new potential partners for something. And, uh, and so I would, uh, I would set those things up on my calendar and it was great because it helped me organize my time a bit more and helped me. Uh, gave me a, a way to visualize that balance between the work that I was doing and the marketing or the outreach or you know, business development stuff that I was doing. Uh, but then I found a really interesting thing that started to happen. I got less frustrated about the slow pace of growth as a result of having these things that I was doing on a daily basis that I was accomplishing. So I felt like when I really like tried to started to whittle it down into what was causing this feeling, I recognized that by having these small things that I could accomplish on a daily and weekly basis, I could feel there was some momentum moving and I could physically see it. I could cross those things off the calendar. I knew that I went out and did that. When I did, when I was tired and had been working all day and the last thing I wanted to do was go out to a show and, and, and listen to more music, because as much as you love music, there's a certain point where you just want silence <laughs> um, to be able to reset things. But I would push myself to go out and go to that event and 
go do the, you know, the networking that maybe I don't love as much as being in the studio and working with artists. And then I would always leave those experiences feeling more accomplished because I met somebody cool. Uh, there was uh, a new thing that I learned, um, found a good, you know, a new relationship, heard someone talking about a new idea that hit a light bulb for me for something new that I could do. You know, there was always something that I would take away from that. I don't think that I could think of an experience where I went out and did that and I left feeling like, well, that was a waste of time because you're, you're going out and you're, you're making that, that effort. So if you're doing that consistently, like every, every day, at least when I started doing that every day outside of just the work that I was doing, uh, I, I was able to stay more motivated. And, and the more that you do it, the more that you see the result from it, the more you want to do more of it. And so these days, my, um, my prosperity plan is pretty detailed. And it, um, and now I have it organized from 6am to 10pm, um, Monday through Friday. And, uh, and it's very specific on, on that. Now I, I like having that sort of structure because I feel like it actually makes me more inspired because I have less to, um, kind of make less decisions to make. So I can stay more focused in the moment. I review my schedule the day before each day for the following day and make sure that I have a clear game plan for what I'm going to do. And I can go to bed like just at peace, knowing that I'm going to wake up and have this process that I, um, that I, that I go through. But when I first started, I definitely wouldn't have been able to maintain that consistently. So I don't suggest like just trying to fill up your entire calendar with everything you could possibly do. I would say just start with one thing a day. And if that's an hour or two that you spend on it, great place to start. And if you do it consistently within a short period of time, I think that for at least for me and my experience and the experience of a lot of people that I've helped uh, organize this exercise, um, we found that we become more inspired to start to add things onto it. And before you know it, you have a really organized process, but organized in a good way, not in like a non-creative way where you feel like you have too much structure that it halts your creativity, um, but in a way that allows you to really maintain more of a creative focus on things because you got less crap to worry about. Yeah, And my process starts with uh, a morning ritual that I think has been after the just process of doing this uh, plan in general, the adding the morning ritual to it was, which I started about six years ago, was the probably the, the, the most beneficial part of this to have a consistent way that I started my day. And uh, that started fairly small, but now it's a, a couple hour long um, process. But anything that, that if, for different creatives are different. I really um, love being outside and I, and I love exercise and pushing my body pretty aggressively. So I start my day with pretty heavy, like, um, series of like workouts, but then I cool down with reading and meditation before I start my day. Um, there's other artists that I work with that love starting their day by just waking up and grabbing their instrument and just playing it, just letting their mind before it's flooded with, um, fight or flight responses to just start, um, being creative, just playing and seeing what comes out of it. There's a very common practice that many people have heard of called like morning pages where you just wake up and you start writing. And that can be really great um, uh, for artists. Uh, and I think that uh, whatever kind of puts you in a, in a strong creative place uh, can be incredibly beneficial. And just in whether that's 10 minutes or two hours, however much time you, you feel like you can commit to it, the important part is being able to commit to it consistently. So making this like your daily practice, not for like, well, I'm going to do this for a week or a month or whatever, but like, this is what I'm going to do for my life, like forever. You just keep uh, going through it. And for me, when I made that commitment to doing it, there were definitely periods of time early on that I, that I, you know, skipped days or kind of, uh, you know, didn't do it. But then I started to feel this 
sense of cognitive dissonance when I didn't do it. And I felt like, oh man, I got to get this knocked off, you know, my list because it's something that really helps me get my day jump started. Now I just, I don't feel like I have as much energy or um, I'm a little more irritable or, you know, or something like that. So now it's just become a, uh, a very easy practice to be able to um, continue doing. And it's been incredibly valuable and in keeping a strong mindset and a good perspective when you're faced with all the adversity that we all get hit with um, working through a crazy industry like um, music. <laughs> yeah. The, the advice that you're sharing right now and the, the, the sort of planning and the artist advice that you're, you're giving, that, that goes far beyond, I think, what you do at the record shop. And that starts getting into the mind map tribe that you also run. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I started to recognize these practices that I developed over the years as, as not only just being valuable for me, but I could see opportunities for it to be valuable for other artists. And once I had a long enough career that I had experienced enough different types of creative minds to recognize this incredible challenge that creatives have, including myself, in balancing their creative spirit with the organizational side of what they do and the business side of, of what they do. And I started to have experiences of artists that had all the talent and in some cases had incredible opportunity, um, you know, to, to step right into some, to a great career and then had those opportunities fall through because lack of action or lack of um, reliability or, or just following up on something that they needed to do. And uh, that's not a fault to them. We're as creatives, we're wired to kind of be more maybe introverted in some cases, or just like creatively focused or a little more easily distracted or pulled in different directions. And that's a lot of what makes our personalities great for creating art, um, because we're able to separate ourselves in that way. But it also can make it increasingly challenging to be able to manage a business. And in the modern recording industry, I found, at least in my career, that I had to be my own boss in order to have the success or the career path that I wanted. And with artists, in order for them to get to the level that they may want, it's important that initially they don't have the budget or the label or resources to be able to hire an entire team to do everything for them. So I saw the need for that and the struggle that artists were having. And I, and I was already helping artists out with a lot of these things, but more just as part of my production process. And so I thought it would be great to turn it into, take all of these ideas and exercises that I use personally and turn it into a program that, that artists could go through that would help give them a foundation for building a, a lot of those things. So we organized that into a course, and then we developed that course under the brand uh, mind map um, and the idea that we were we were going to create exercises that would help make those connections in our brain to help drive the the path the the journey to where we want to get in our creative career. Okay, great, and and so that's targeted specifically at new and developing artists. It's really just targeted at creatives in general. Okay, and and a and a creative that is looking for ways to be able to find a better balance between their art and their their business. Okay. And you mentioned we, so who, who is the other half of we? Um, well, I became friends with a really great speaker and uh, business coach uh, named Ricky Mendez. He was speaking at a record label here in town a few years ago. 
And one of the artists that I was working with uh, was signed there. So we, he invited me to come and hang and he knew I we had a big passion for kind of mindset practices and, and, uh, and business, you know, stuff. And so he's like, man, I think that you'll really in, enjoy this. He's going to be speaking to the executives at the, the company. Um, you should come in and just, and just hang with me. Uh, so I was really excited that, that he uh, invited me and I loved Ricky's approach to putting um, science and implementation behind mindset practice. If anyone's familiar with that sort of market, there's a lot of like, quote unquote, like gurus out there, the motivational speakers that have may have really great intentions, but they just do a lot of like motivating and not really like giving you the key to what you actually need to do. And the Mm -hmm. mindset stuff is great, but there's a certain point where you need to know how to how to take that mindset idea or philosophy and implement it into a tangible step that you can actually take. And that's where I felt my myself uh, reading those types of books and, and listening to those types of presentations, feeling left with like, okay, cool. I feel inspired and I understand thinking about this mindset and the way to think about these perspectives and the way that we can approach our psychology. But what? Do, how do I physically turn this into something that I can do. I know it, but how do I execute it? And what I loved about Ricky's presentation was that that's what he, he did. He took these these ideas that weren't new that have been around since Napoleon Hill, uh, but, we, but he incorporated them into an exercise, like something specific that you could do. So I thought that that was genius. And uh, the more that we started talking, I was like, hey, you know, I've I've been thinking about trying to figure out a way to give artists a resource that would help them to take these sort of steps, the steps that I've learned through my career and the things that I can see that are kind of the missing blocks between their, the next stage of their career. Um, but I don't really have experience in doing that in an organized way. And he had these really great presentations that he had organized. So we partnered together to come up with uh, the course and the way that we did it. Um, and then he was actually the one that did the presentation of it on the first um, on the first set of, uh, of courses that we did, uh, where he's the one on camera and we curated all the content together and I produced it and he was the speaker for it. Okay. Sounds, sounds like a great partnership. So somebody that signs up for your course, what all does that entail? Um, aside from the worksheets and the video lectures? Um, well, that's the foundation of it is that it's a, it's a visual and written thing. So with each episode that we have, there's a specific topic. There's always an implementable practice or exercise that that we have someone go through. It's not just thoughts and ideas, but something you can actually do. And uh, and we keep them broken down into bite-sized chunks so it can be digestible to an artist. We don't try to throw too much at one time. Each one of the episodes is short, and then we uh, uh, like under ten minutes. And then it has a worksheet associated with it that you go through. And, uh, and then each one builds on the next one to be able to work, work through those different skills. And that's the base level of it. And then we, we have created offerings that are more uh, one-on-one, uh, more personal. So if an artist wanted to work one-on-one with myself um, or with, with Ricky, we have that support. And then we have kind of like a, a mid-level um, option where we give you guidance um, through like email support, like through the, through the process. So you might send over your worksheets. We give you some feedback on it, give you some perspective. Um, and there's a, there's a few different ways that we've, you know, we've helped folks out with it. Uh, and there's a pretty good balance. You know, some people really enjoy going through the process on their own. Um, other folks want to be guided through it and uh, mm-hmm. like uh, in person, you know, and have that support. So we wanted to make it available in that way um, to, to, to both. And um, 
and we did, we were very selective on the people that we do work one-on-one with because we want it to be a good investment for them. So we, we have a little application thing and we talk with them beforehand about um, whether it'd be a good fit and what their goals are to make sure that, cause that's not what I want to do for, I want to produce records for a living, but I just feel called to helping people with this because of how much I struggled with it and how much I've seen it help my career. And if, if I can use that skill and experience that I've had to be able to help other people have the same fulfillment that I have, then that leaves me just as fulfilled as the way that I feel after I finish working on a record. And that's why I've started kind of diving into that, that world a little bit. I mentioned early on that, you, you know, you've been on a dozen or so different podcasts. What do you wish people had asked you, but didn't? Wow, that's an awesome question. Um, I don't, I, I don't have a good answer for that. I wish I did. <laughs> that, that question is incredible. It's it, it's a pretty broad one, but uh, you know, I I guess I wanted to give you an opportunity. Are there are there things that you want to talk about that you haven't discussed with with other interviews? Yeah, I think that one thing that people haven't asked me as much about is the process that a that a young uh, or new producer engineer might go through to get a job somewhere. Oh, okay. and that's something that I wasn't really educated on when I was in school. Actually, I shouldn't say it wasn't really. No one talked about that really. They talked about writing a resume and they talked about networking, but they didn't really talk about how to have those conversations and how to present yourself. And, uh, and so people ask me a lot about like tech stuff and a lot about how I built my business, but not as much about like what I would recommend for someone that's looking to kind of jump off in, into the, you know, into the industry. And so if you're looking for some of those entry level opportunities, I think there's a few things that are really important to recognize now that I can look at it with a bird's eye view as someone that owns a studio and production company and is looking to hire people. The one thing is that I was not unique when I moved to Nashville. There were plenty of other people that had the same goal that I did at a young age and had put in the work. So to recognize that as much as you might have like a special talent that you'll eventually be able to showcase on the surface, you are not special. I was not special to the people that you're pitching to. So don't assume, like I did, that they know how hard I worked and that uh, and all of the, th- the capabilities that I have and the things that I'm really passionate about. Uh, when I first started um, contacting um, studios, producers, you know, places where I could potentially find work, I did what everyone does. And I put together a, a nice resume that looked cool, had a good technical breakdown and what my skill sets were. I said, I'm messaging you because I just graduated from this recording program. I have this degree and I'm looking for opportunities. Um, Are you interviewing? And uh, now as a studio owner, I recognize that that was the most generic way and like in best way to never get a great (laughs) response or a great opportunity um, because I was saying the exact same thing that everybody else was, but I didn't have any thought of even thinking about that being different or even thinking about approaching it differently until way further along in my career. One of the experiences that I had that helped me recognize that was the first like major credit that I had on a record. And that opportunity came from a studio owner that was letting me sit in on one of their sessions. And during that session, the engineer uh, was going to take a break. And I had been there a couple times, so we were kind of familiar with each other. And he just asked me, he's like, hey, you know how use Pro Tools, right? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And he said, well, can you take this vocal and fly it over to this other section of the song? I got to go make a call. So I said, yeah, sure. And jumped up and and did it um, quickly and uh, much quicker than 
he would have thought that someone could do it or that he would have done it. Um, because I had been, I had started my career in digital audio, you know, pretty much like run, like recording into Pro Tools, um, and uh, was very proficient in the software. And uh, so I went into the break room. Was like, hey man, I got you know this thing done. And he looked at me confused. He's like, no, I need you to put it on all the course. I was like, yeah, I did. And uh, she's like, okay, well, hold on a second, I'll come in there. So he came in there and looked at it and saw the the edit that I, you know that I had made and was like, yeah, it's perfect, man. He's like, how the hell did you do that that fast? And I explained it to him. I was like, well, you know, when I was in school, I was recording a lot of vocalists and uh, working with a lot of like hip hop artists and pop artists. So I had to move tracks around very quickly. And I found like this, just this little practice or thing that made sense for me to think about how to do it. And uh, he was really impressed. And uh, that was, that was great, but it didn't lead to anything. That guy never hired me. And I don't think that we ever like really worked together, but what was awesome was the client in the back of the room was the manager of an artist. And he saw what I did. And after the session came up to me and said, Hey man, I got to get these mixes off to a mix engineer this afternoon, but we need a few little edits made that I just got a call about. Do you have somewhere that we could go do that? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I got this little apartment down the road. I got a little studio set up in there, bring the hard drive over, you know, and we'll do it. And so I did that for him. And that ended up being my first major credit on a record. It was, you know, listed as Pro Tools editor, which isn't very glamorous, but (laughs) um, what I got out of that was like, holy crap, I need to be sharing with people what is unique about me. Like what are, what are the things that I'm really good at in comparison to other things? I didn't ever consider that I would be able to do something better than the guy who had the job that for, you know, the past few decades, but it wasn't that I was a better engineer. It was just that I came up in a different generation and I had a certain skill set that could be valuable to someone even like himself. And so I started to present myself that way. As opposed to, hey, I have a degree. I just graduated. I'm looking for work. I would say um, I'm a very proficient um, Pro Tools editor, and if you ever need any help with uh, organizing sessions or that sort of thing, I'd you know I'd love to help you with that. And then all of a sudden, I started getting emails back, and people started calling me, and I started getting referrals for things. And uh, there was a, one of my buddies ran a hot dog stand across the street from Warner Brothers, and this guy comes out and asks the dude if he knew somebody that could, you know, do this thing. And he's like, yeah, just run down the street. My buddy Gio's got an apartment a couple blocks down. Um, and he gave me, I just got this random call. He's like, yeah, hey, I just met your buddy at the hot dog stand. He told me that, uh, that you could do this for me. And, and those things started to happen. Uh, so when you, when you're starting out and you're looking for those opportunities, I would highly recommend figuring out what is the, maybe the specialty that you're good at and also that you enjoy doing. Uh, but something that you may do a little better than other folks, or you may feel like, you know, that specific part of the process really came to you a lot quicker than other technical aspects. And then dive deep into that. Make sure that that becomes a strong part of the conversation when you're looking for opportunities. And then that can always evolve. Like I am not, my career is not based around my Pro Tools operation. It definitely helped with that. And those were some of my entry level things that helped me get into it. Uh, and people know that I'm a good Pro Tools operator, but when people talk about me, they don't say Geo the Pro Tools, you know, operator. Well, one guy calls me Geo Tools, but uh, <laughs> but but the you know the the point is that can expand beyond things. But you can start with a specific niche and then diversify outside of that. And so I feel like that's the thing that doesn't get talked about, you know, maybe as often is what are those initial steps that you can take and how can you set yourself apart when you're trying to find opportunities. Yeah, that's that's terrific advice. That's that's great. Thank you. So, what? Uh, obviously, we are starting to see light at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic. What's next for you and your business? 
you know, the p- pandemic has definitely been a very difficult time. And it just in general with all kinds of different businesses and industries and just human beings that have had a lot of, you know, pain and, and struggle through it. Uh, and so I don't say this lightly, but there was, I refused for there to be a dark light for me at any point over the past year. When things started going a little crazy in March, I made a commitment to first not change my routine that I was going to keep my same schedule, whether I had sessions coming into the studio or not, that I was going to continue my morning routine, uh, that I was going to dress just like I was having sessions all day. And that may seem a little crazy, but it really helped me keep my focus and intention on not letting any situation destroy my business or, or my career. And um, then the next thing that I did was focused on how we could innovate during that time. So. This can be a really great practice that doesn't have to take a pandemic to accomplish. I do this already, so it was easy for me to kind of get into that mindset. But after chilling out for a week and realizing that this wasn't going to be like a week-long thing and then all of a sudden it was going to go away, I had this urge to, okay, I have to figure out what I can do to be able to keep our business rolling. And I found a couple things. We started using our live recording rig that we used to record concerts and festivals and stuff and started dropping it off at artist studios that or artist homes that didn't have a professional studio setup. So we were, there were a few projects that I was in the middle of working on. And at first we were like, well, let's just take a break for a week and then we'll be fine, you know, and come back and finish it. But once it was clear that this was not going to um, be a week long endeavor, um, I um, put the system together where I could access the computer remotely run the software and I would drop them off the microphone that they would normally use in the studio with me. And, um, they could set it up there and we could continue, continue working. Uh, Hmm. so that was really great. And then that ended up being something that I started pitching to other people that I wasn't currently in projects with, but just saying, Hey, if you got stuff that you're working on, you want to lay it down, but you're concerned about it not having that level of quality. I have this mobile system that we can drop off to you that I can access remotely. And then uh, the biggest thing that we did was dove into live streaming. For a lot, for the past couple of years, I've been really pushing this idea with artists that there's this huge community out there and there's this great technology that would allow you to perform at any time and consistently be, be able to create content and engage with your fans. But it wasn't something that artists really wanted to dive into. It hadn't been like a proven method yet. It wasn't as fun as playing a live show. Um, artists would try to do it and they'd only have a few people watch, you know? Uh, but I really believed in that being, um, a really great technology. Uh, but we just hadn't been able to really dive deep into it until this happened. And as soon as, uh, it started becoming clear that concerts were not going to be happening for a long time, I immediately started calling AV consultants to put together a real, a really comprehensive live streaming rig. So we could be like the first studio in, in Nashville that could live stream a concert at a really high level and have it all be in house. So you could just come to us and we handle all the production for you from the audio and video side of it. Uh, and that became a massive um, help. So we were able to create these really great opportunities for artists to be able to connect with their fans. And then we found this whole new market of um, corporate clients that were doing virtual conferences and they wanted musical entertainment for it. And, um, and so between those couple things and that mindset, when you say like, Light at the end of the tunnel. It just makes me think about the importance of stating that there, that that doesn't that we don't have to think about 
those situations in that dire of a way if we immediately dive in to how can we shift and change and use our skills to be able to solve the problems that are happening within our industry. And through that, I don't say this in a like in a boastful way, but just in a a way to share how powerful this level of, of focus can be. My our business my business grew last year. We we and I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to say that, but we were able to actually do more business through through this uh, through finding these new ways to be able to venture out into uh, into new markets. So what I see for um, moving beyond this is just the ability to for I, I feel really happy for artists to be able to start to get more into live performance and start to bring some of their revenue back. And I just see us continuing on to find new ways that we can innovate and provide new solutions for the artists and businesses that we work with. Terrific. Sounds like it's going to be an exciting year. And so, so where can people connect with you online? Instagram, probably the best like social option is at the record shop studios. Our website is the record shop Nashville.com. And on our website, there's a contact page. Uh, there's an email on there. And uh, I always say this when I'm when I'm doing these types of things. If anyone is looking for support, um, direction, has a question, something that they're trying to figure out, but might be a little bit hesitant about, like you know, cold calling somebody or reaching out to someone that they don't know, um, my door is always open. When I moved to town, I was fortunate to find a couple mentors that gave me some really great advice and really helped me direct my career. But it was incredibly challenging to get support. And I really felt like on my own and trying to figure this out. I didn't really have any friends that were doing the same thing. And um, it was a fairly lonely experience at first. So I have made it a point in my career for my door to always be open to answer every email that someone sends if they're asking for help for suggestions, recommendations, and there are, are completely no strings attached. There's not an offer at the end of this or anything. I do that to give back because other people did it for me and I want to pay it forward. So if you if I can do anything to help you, my email is on our website. Drop me a line and I'll do what I can. That is awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was great chatting with you. Geo covered a lot in this interview, but here are some of my key takeaways. At his core, Geo is passionate about helping other artists. I think that's a large part of why he's been so successful. Find what inspires you and pursue it, even if it takes you, like it did him, 15 years or more. When you're working with musicians, it's helpful to establish expectations ahead of time. I can see this being really useful when collaborating with other producers, too. Talk through what each of you wants from the project, who's going to work on which pieces, when the project is due, and how you'll handle artist splits before you even get started. Gio really emphasized the importance of the vibe of the studio and making the artist comfortable. Don't just assume that they want to be alone in a sound isolation booth. Ask them where they'd be most comfortable and then adjust. That's key to getting a good recording. If you can't find a job, create one. Just remember to think long-term in the music business. Geo talks about needing 10 to 15 years to be successful in Nashville. If you're just getting started, take action, don't be afraid to ask for advice, and build relationships before you ask for anything in return. Expect to make mistakes, just ensure you learn from them. And if you are already successful, then pay it forward and help out the new artists. Developing a passion statement is a useful exercise that can help you connect with the thing that excites you the most. It can also help keep you motivated when things are getting really tough and frustrating. 
Use your calendar to block off time for the business side of music, but be careful about chasing anything just because it pays the bills. Seek out the types of gigs you really want. Plan your major goals, break them down into actionable chunks, and then put those on your calendar. Ticking off small wins can help you build momentum towards those big goals. Review each day's schedule the day prior. Start each day with whatever rituals put you in a creative place and that you can commit to on a regular basis, whether that's exercise, reading, meditation, journaling, or playing your instrument. If you're pitching your skills as a producer, find your niche. What are you especially good at and enjoy doing? Don't just say you're good with Ableton or Pro Tools. Pick an angle. Do you specialize in producing vocals, multi-tracking, mastering, miking up drums? Don't feel like you'll be stuck with that for the rest of your career. Your specialties can grow and change over time. Innovate through adversity. The record shop grew in 2020 because they came up with some creative new markets, like dropping off their recording gear at clients' homes or providing high-end live streaming services. Whew, that was a lot. If you've got any questions or comments, just leave them over at producerlifepodcast.com. Look for episode 66. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. I would love to feature some of those reviews in a future podcast. But until next week, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. (laughs) 